Ark family, we are so glad you are here. Uh, we're so glad for you bringing teams and bringing um, your friends with you to join us today. My name is Mekon Carter. I am going to be the host for the Seven on Seven. It's one of my favorite things about our conference. Uh, I had the pleasure, pleasure of being part of it uh, several times, and so they don't let me be in it anymore. They made me be the host because that's just what happens. But um, we just want to say, hey, before we keep going any further, we want you to make sure that you download the ARC app, the ARC app on your cell phone. You want to get it on there? This facility can be extremely large and intimidating sometimes. You need to know exactly where you're going, what time it's happening. So make sure that you do your best to download the ARC app and get it on your phone. It's going to help direct you in the course of the sessions. Uh, we got a lot of things planned for you. You're not going to want to miss any of it. Um, we just want to say thank you for being part of the ARC family. I know this much. I, uh, I've learned a lot being part of ARC. It's been a refreshing thing to know that they allow other people into the conversation. They're not hoggers. They're not hoarders. They, they really want to share relationships, share ideas. We realize that all churches from different sizes, some of us larger, some of us just getting started, but we all have something we can benefit from one another. And that's why this seven and seven is so powerful and impactful because uh, we're gonna bring to the stage here in a moment um, some people from different backgrounds. Some of them have been pastoring for more than 20 years. Some of them are just getting ready to get started. And in the seven and seven, there are moments where things can happen, spark something inside of you that you didn't even know that was there. Um, I know that just from being on the other end, what it feels like as a communicator, you get up here. I remember one of the first times I got up here to do seven on seven, I was scared. Show us. And uh, I got up here, I was jet lagged one time and sleep deprived, preached one of the best messages I think I've ever preached, stuck in the middle, if you, those of you that remember it. It was like, it was like something that just came out of me. And I, I just know that sometimes these moments can be intimidating, so I'm going to ask you to act like you're the one preaching up here, and I want you to preach everyone on. Like, they, come on, I want you to preach them on like you was preaching your best sermon on Easter, and 10 million people got saved at your campus. Uh, but you're going to be in for a good treat. Come on, I'm going to ask all the speakers to come up on the stage right now. Give it up for all these speakers that are coming up. We have seven of them. And they are going to do amazing. Every single one of them made sure their outfit was on point. It's the most important thing because if you look good, you preach good. Come on, somebody. <laughs> and so uh, I want to just give reference to the people that are up here. We got George Davids, George and his wife, April, planted Impact Church in Jacksonville, Florida, 22 years ago. And he doesn't look a day over 13. Come on, somebody. Kyle Turner. Mr. Redhead, Kyle and his wife Liz planted the Cause Church in Kansas City. Eight years. Got that eight years of ministry. And then we got my favorite. I'm just going to throw it out there. Wendy Perez. All the way from Sin City, Las Vegas. Her and her amazing husband, the man who preached the message that I got saved at, Benny Perez, shout out, planted the church 18 years ago. How is that possible? Terrence Mullins, he's, he's got the best accent on the panel. 
and he's getting ready to plant history makers with his wife Emma in Miami in 2019. Everyone's looking for an invite from him in the wintertime to go to Miami. We got Onika McClellan. Her and her husband Earl planted Shoreline Church in Dallas, Texas six years ago. Wayne Francis. Wayne got some fans up in the building. Wayne and his wife Classy planted Authentic Church in White Plains, New York nine years ago. And then we got Tavner Smith. Love me some Tavner. Him is why Danielle planted Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Six, four years ago. It's wrong on the thing? Well, you would know. It's yours. He just got a new building, so we want what you're doing to get a new building. Yes, we do. Amen. But what's going to happen is all these preachers, they're going to have a preach-off. They're going to preach for seven minutes. No more than seven minutes. If you preach longer than seven minutes, we're all going to boo you, okay? So no more than seven minutes. Seven minutes to a preacher is like giving a well a tic-tac, by the way. It, you can't do anything. You can't even give an introduction in seven minutes. You can't even state where you're from. And you got to thank Pastor Chris. You got to thank Pastor Dino. You got to thank Greg Surratt. You got to thank the ARC team. You got to talk about how you're so grateful to be up on here. And boom, three and a half minutes gone gone just like just like that the struggle is real so I'm gonna thank all of them for you you don't have to do that so you could just jump right into your message because we're ready to hear something from God come on brother get up here and give them that message hey our family grace to be here and I just want to say you know we're better together and what the Lord put in my heart is that together we can weather any storm that message from Pastor Daniel was just amazing because it helps us remember that, you know, even though we, we prepare for the, 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 the victory, sometimes we forget to prepare for the struggle. And even though Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 that there are going to be times when even when you've obeyed God or disobeyed God, there's a potential for the storm to still come violently looking for your house. And the thing I love is that I believe that one of the, 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 the weapons that God has given us to deal with the storms when they show up is that we have friends that we can connect with that can help support us during our times of struggle. You know, it was God that said it. It was God's idea in, in Genesis when he said that it is not good for the man to be alone. And, you know, he said that before Adam ever sinned. So it wasn't that, you know, after Adam sinned and he became this weakling where he needs other people all of a sudden. But it was God that said it's not good for man to be alone. And it's amazing because God's solution for man's loneliness is not the thing that most of us would have recommended. If most of us were recommending somebody who is lonely, what, what is the solution? We'd probably tell them, press into the presence of God a little bit more. Dive into your word a little bit more. And those are all things that are great to do. But God said the solution for man's loneliness is that he needs some authentic relationships with somebody else like him. And I believe that one of the reasons why so many times we find ourselves in difficult places is that we're trying to do life alone, trying to do ministry alone, trying to figure it out all by ourselves, which is one of the reasons why you have hundreds of pastors every month that started off with a dream in their heart, but then they throw in the towel and decide to walk away. I just believe we're in a room today that we don't have folks that are walking away. Because there's something good on the inside of you. There's something God has birthed on the inside of you, and God wants to see it come to pass in its fullest dimension. You know, it was two years ago that I walked into an art conference for the very first time because one of my spiritual sons, Corey Williams, kept telling me about art, and he connected me with Pastor Greg Surratt, and we had a conversation. He invited me to come to be a part of an art conference and experience it for myself, and I had one of those moments where I'm sitting there, and God was just all over me. I realized I had found home. 
And see, from the outside, I had had all the external, you know, uh, trappings of, of success in ministry, had been in ministry for 20 plus years, had, you know, thousands of people we were blessed to minister to and lead, had planted 11 other churches that were part of our network of churches, but I was broken on the inside. I was busted up on the inside. And the worst part about it, I was broken and didn't even know it. Because I was broken on the inside, but still having success on the outside. My daughter was facing a life-threatening medical condition that we had to go through. I had been abandoned in my mind by people that I thought would be there in my corner for a long time. And I'm walking around, still got to get up every Sunday and preach. Still got to encourage everybody else. Still learning how to keep a smile on my face to encourage the rest of the world. But on the inside, I was broken myself. But it was coming into an ark environment. And into a grow environment where it was God who allowed relationships that when I was going through my storm, they picked me up and helped me. It was guys like Carl Turner from KC who helped to minister to me. My, my, my good friend Lane Schrantz. It was Jimmy Rollins. It was my pastor, Pastor Chris Hodges, who poured into us and who took us at a place where we didn't know which direction God wanted us to go. But they brought us in so close that we didn't even have a chance to realize how hurt we were because the healing power of God starts moving on the inside. And now I can look up today and I can tell you that my baby girl stands healed, whole, and well from the crown of her head. Come on, to the soles of her feet. Just experienced her sweet 16 birthday celebration. Went to the prom last week with a guy and I didn't kill him. I've got to be healed. I've got to, I must be healed. But it all started in a family like this. It all started with a group like this. It all started with me recognizing this reality that I can't do this by myself. I had sons and, 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 and folks that I was pouring into, but had nobody pouring into me. And I got to the place where I realized that I needed some friends, man. And I thank God for all the, the, the great uh, uh, techniques that you'll learn and all the, the, the growth strategies that you'll get in the app session. But to me, the greatest thing I get from Mark, over and beyond all of the strategies, is I got friends, man. I've got family. I've got folks that pour into me in the same way that I've turned around and poured into others. And I can tell you today, my wife and I, our church, our family, our ministry staff is the healthiest we have been in the history of our church. And it's because God has connected us with a family that's pouring back into us as well. I wrote a book years ago called Passing the Test of Life. And the last chapter in the book is a, is a, is a chapter called The Perfect Storm. And it's when everything kind of comes together at the wrong time, hits you at the wrong time in your life. And that's where I found myself. And I think many times we find ourselves in that spot where we've, we've had to deal with the test of being misunderstood. We've had to deal with, with the test of, you know, trying to look around and see what's going on to the left or the right. But when the perfect storm hits is when everything kind of collides at the wrong time. And I found myself there. And it's kind of like it's based on the, the, the story of the Andrea Gale, the, the, the fishing boat up the East Coast years ago. A group of professional fishermen went out. They're fishing, and they got caught in the perfect storm. All these weather systems collided at exactly the wrong time. And the story ends that the, the ship capsized. The entire crew dies. But the saddest part about the story is that years later, when they recovered the ship, they found that the emergency locator beacon on the ship was turned off. And every time I think about that, it reminds me that they were probably on that ship waiting for help to come, wondering why nobody cared enough to show up. But in reality, they had their signal turned off and nobody knew they were in trouble. And I want to just leave you with today that don't allow your signal to be turned off. 
Don't just come here today and sit there in your own private spot. During these little break times, get up and find somebody. If nobody finds you, introduce yourself because you're among friends today. You're among a family that'll pick you up and rescue you. You're among a family that if you got your emergency beacon on, we are filled with the Holy Ghost enough to know how to come and rescue you and get you back on track where you need to be. So I want to just ask you, come on, lift up your hands. Let's thank God for friends. Come on, open up your mouth with me. Let's thank God for friends. Come on, we thank you, Lord, for family. We thank you, Lord, we don't have to do ministry in life alone. And Father, we thank you that we are committed to turn on our emergency locator beacon to make sure that whenever we find ourselves in trouble, that we got people around us that help us through the difficult times. God bless you. We love you. Let's go. Let's go, George. Hey, I'm here to tell you today right now that together we can build something that lasts. Something. When you build and lead for your own little world, as big as it might be, if it's not involving other people in the kingdom, it won't last. In fact, the truth is this. The kingdom requires collaboration. The kingdom requires that we build together on a foundation that's not our own little platform, but something greater that outlives it all. Now, in the church, the truth is this. We're falling behind the world. The world understands that there's great power in networking, great power in connection, great power in collaboration. From art to, 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 to fashion to, to music, Co- collaboration reaches a larger, a larger audience. Top song last year. Do you know what it is? Does anyone know what it is? Nobody knows what it is. <laughs> the truth is this. Top song last year was Justin Bieber. Daddy Yankee, Luis Fino. Anybody know this song? Necessita. Okay, that's the truth. Does anyone know the words? No, you don't, because no one understands the words. Anyway, all you know is that something, 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 Puerto Rico is the words. It might, it might as well have been written in tongues, if you ask me, but that's okay. But here's what they did. Different generations got together with different styles from different nations and produced a song that was the greatest song of last year. Not only that, but also the YouTube video has more video views than any video ever in the history of humanity because they understand that there's great power in working together. Now, we all love God to do more for us. In fact, if you came to our conference expecting more of God, I think you're going to leave here with some great encouragement, some great friends, some great relationship. But the greatest thing we can ever do is to turn up the attention on our collaboration. In fact, a famous passage that sometimes we get out of alignment is Ephesians 3.20. We all know it. To, to him who is able, God's able to do immeasurably more than we could ask. Do you understand that it's actually not an I or a me? That he could do through, it says, us. Ephesians 3.21 says it's for the glory of God, and it's from generation to generation forever and ever. In other words, the greatest things that God does isn't just through individual you. It's through the collaboration of all of us. It's through the power of, of we. He can reach more people through, through us. Unity creates a greater legacy. And when you live for yourself and you build your own little empire, as impressive as it might be, if it's not built in collaboration with God's kingdom, it won't, it won't last. And there's two killers to together. It's competition and comparison. Competition and comparison. And I fall into this trap all, all the time. Just when I think I'm doing great, I look at someone else who's doing so much better than me. But the truth is, I'm not called to run the race, I'm called to run mine. And the reality is this, in the kingdom of God, we're all called to keep pace with each other so that we can move farther than we ever could uh, on our own. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, you know this verse. 
that there's this whole group that compares themselves among themselves and measures themselves against themselves. And he says it is not wise. In other words, there's a whole group out there that are all about themselves. Let's not be the people that are all about themselves. Here's the truth you need to understand. The pastor down the street from you is not your problem. He's not your enemy. He's not your adversary. We battle against what, what, not flesh and blood, but princes and principalities and rulers of the air. You might not like him or his wife, but the truth is this, they are not a principality of the enemy against you. They're a brother or sister in Christ. In Psalms 133, the famous passage about unity, that how beautiful it is when, when we as brothers and we as sisters get this thing called unity right, that God will command a blessing there. But you know, the end of that Psalm, it says a blessing that leads to everlasting life forevermore. In other words, when we get in unity, God does something for eternity. Something greater than just what we could do right now. And I understand it's difficult. A new church comes to town. One of the big churches from another region or another area, another city moves into town. We all feel that in the moment. When you meet a new church planter and you find out where they're going, you're like, I wanted to go there. That's where I wanted to be. And you, you, and you get a little frustrated. All of a sudden you start thinking, God, am I making any difference? I mean, Ark has had, Ark, there's a lot of church planets being planted in Kansas City. I'm like, when did we get positioned back in the 420 window? What is happening? For 10, not 420 window, hold on. 1040 window. Hello. Some people in my church have been positioned in the 420 window. We're praying for them. When did we become like the forefront of the kingdom of God? But the, the truth is this. I get worried about oversaturation. Jesus is not worried about oversaturation. Jesus is not concerned. He's worried about overripe, that the harvest is overripe, that there's way too much work to do for any one person or one leader to do it by them, by themselves. And that's why he says, hey, I need as many people as possible. Paul understood this, that everyone had a part to play in the process of the harvest, that Paul would plant and Apollos would water, but God would bring the increase. The goal was the increase. The goal was the, the harvest. But the truth is this. They didn't, this is the beauty about unity. Unity isn't doing the same thing. It's doing it with the same spirit. It's doing it in collaboration with other people. Paul says, I did my part, and Paul also does his part. But it's not about my part or his part. It's about the greater process of the harvest. And how many know your cities, this nation, this world, there's a great big old harvest out there for us. Don't worry about the people around you. Be faithful to do what God's called you to do. And we got to do it together. Are you going to be a worker in the field? Or are you going to be a whiner about what someone else is doing? I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. They stole your logo. I get it. I get it. I get it. They taught your series. I get it. They came and visited your church. And next week they had a parking team. And they used the same orange vest that you used. I get it. That's not animosity towards you. That's called Amazon.com. It's the cheap ones. That's why they used them. And God is just calling us all to a higher. Jesus says, look at the fields. Get your face up. Not on your own platform. Not on your own, the people around you, but up, up, up. And I feel like the turbulence of insecurity keeps so many of us low. It's just when you get on a plane, you don't get to decide whether you're going to go up or down. The pilot does that. 10-4, ladies and gentlemen, here, just to let you know, we're going to have a little turbulence out of Dallas-Fort Worth. We're going to go up a level. I'm going to have to suspend breakfast, suspend beverage service right now. And everyone gets upset. The, the pilot doesn't ask you where you want to go. He just takes you there. 
I think God is asking all of us, I want to take you up a little higher. you got to burn more fuel to go up a little higher. It costs you more, but when you get in the high air elevator, you can go so much farther for so much longer. God wants to do something bigger than you, but you got to get on up. Good afternoon. I think together we can finish. You know, I, I know that we all have a favorite Bible verse, but does anybody have a least favorite Bible verse? Like, is that sacrilegious to like have a Bible verse that you literally don't like? I have one and it's found in James. I don't really like James. I, you know, I feel like he's really direct and I, I, I like to be massaged into thoughts, you know? I like, I, like, I like a kind, you know, considerate tone, and James's tone just offends me, you know. So for years, I've just basically tried to forget that, the, that that book even existed in the Bible, but I was headed through a little bit of a challenging time, so I thought, oh man, I better, you know, crack open James and see what he's got to say about it. And right out of the chute, verse 2, he says, count it all joy when you fall into trials of various kinds. I'm not a person that likes pain. In fact, if you tell me that you have a headache, I'll take an Advil for you. I don't like pain. I don't run towards it. I'm epidural all the way, all three kids. Come on. I don't like pain. But I was in a situation and it was unavoidable and I found myself in the middle and I just wanted to quit and I opened up James and I began to look and I thought, surely there's some great, you know, hidden meaning behind this. And I began to, to study it out and one of the definitions of the count it all joy was consider the sum. Consider the sum. Consider the end when you fall into trials of various kinds. I don't know if you remember the day that you showed up to uh, math class. Maybe it was the first day. When I was going to school forever ago, uh, we were sophomore or junior. They probably teach it in second grade now, but you walked into. <laughs> My kids are homeschooled. I'm like, I hire a tutor, okay? But you walked into math class, some diabolical person decided to take math and English and they had a baby and now you have algebra. And if math wasn't confusing enough, now they're using letters, A plus B equals C. Then the teacher says, oh, if A is one and C the sum is five, then what is B? And I said, what does it matter? You already have the answer. Vinny and I were having one of those days. Now, if you're married and you're in ministry, you try not to have these days together. You hope that just one of you is depressed and wants to quit at a time. <laughs> it's really bad when you hit it at the same time. Bad, bad, bad news. And so we're driving in the car. This is terrible parenting. We have our kids in the car. 
while we're having this conversation, just a side note, moms and dads, I'm a PK, I grew up in the ministry. Don't talk about your kids' children's pastor or youth pastor in front of them. Kids need superheroes. They need someone to believe in. They have the rest of their life to know that they're human. They have the rest of the life to know that that, that pastor might be a little bit frail and imperfect, but right now they just love him so much, okay? So we weren't talking about our youth pastor, we are talking about ourselves. We're driving along in the car, and of course we think that they're not listening, but there's always one kid with big ears. And we're looking at each other, driving in our minivan, and he's like, I don't know, Wendy. I think we're done. I said, I, I don't know what to tell you. I think so too. I mean, is God moving us on? Is, is this just it? Are we, are we supposed to leave Vegas? We thought it would be forever. We thought we would, you know, die here. We thought we would do anything and everything for this city, but maybe it's just done. I don't know what to do. It feels like we've done everything and nothing seems to be coming together. Nothing seems to be working out. And we fell into silence. And a few minutes later, as we're driving down the road, a sweet little voice piped up. She says, would you do it for me, Daddy? In that moment, there was not one circumstance in my life that changed. I still had every trial to walk through. I was still experiencing pain. I still had a mountain in front of me. I still had a valley to continue to be faithful in. But in a moment, my perspective changed because I considered the sum. I considered the sum. And what I realized in that moment, if A is Jesus and C is my Bella girl, then it doesn't matter what B is because it means that I am going to finish. I am going to succeed and I am going to overcome. The presence of pain is not the absence of Jesus. He is the beginning of the equation and he is the end of the equation. He who started the good work is faithful to finish that work in your life. He will finish and we will finish together. Because I'm telling you right now, you are my sum and I am your sum. And we must stand up and walk in the gift and the anointing that is upon our life. Because there are little boys and there are little girls that are meant to stand on our shoulders one day to do more than we ever did, to reach more people than we'll ever reach. Come on, to shape and change generations. Consider the sun. God bless you. Brilliant. Come on. Together, we can. And Ephesians 4.16 gives us a clue into how we can. And it says this, it says, He, being God, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. Well, that only happens as each part does its own special work. 
Do you know you have a part to play from God that makes you not only special to Him, but I'd go as far as saying it makes you necessary. Because it's when you play your part, you help the other parts to grow so that the whole body, your whole church, becomes healthy, it grows, and it's filled with the life and the love of Jesus Christ. You know, I want to speak to you from this thought that we're better together than we are apart. Now, a little about me uh, by way of introduction, and because I can see some of you looking at me like, he looks black. (laughs) But he sounds pretty white. (laughs) Well, there is a reason for that. I was actually born of Jamaican parents. Yeah, man, that's where I got my great island tan. But I was actually born in Brisbane, Australia. Come on, any Aussies? Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Ah, there's three of us, awesome. But I, I left Australia when we were three months old and uh, we moved to Jamaica where we lived for six years. After Jamaica, we moved to Miami, Florida. After two years, come on, three or five. After Miami, Florida, we moved back to Australia. And at the time we moved back, we were pretty much the only black family. So needless to say, I was a standout. And it was fun standing out, but except here in the States, because when I was in the States, they'd look at me like, some of you are still looking at me like, what? A black guy from Australia? Oh, snap, it's an Aborigine. <laughs> Which was, look, it was fun being different, but in all seriousness, there did come a point in my life where I did have to ask God, why is it that I'm always different that I don't seem to fit in? And I know in a room like this, there'd be many of us for a variety of reasons who don't feel like we don't fit, whether it's our gender, our race, our age, our culture, our socioeconomics, or lack thereof. You fill in the blank with whatever difference or perceived dysfunction you feel disqualifies you from fitting in. Because you see, the lie of the enemy is that you're so different that you don't fit. But the truth is you're so different that you do fit. Because you have something that we need. It's when you play your part that you help the other parts to grow. And that's why it's so important that we break the lie that makes us feel that our difference is somehow deviant or our difference is a deficiency. The truth is your difference is actually divine. And let me tell you why. Watch this. Because difference creates completion. It's a different parts coming together that allow us to see the full story of heaven written upon the canvas of our lives and our churches. But if we're not seeing that story, then maybe we haven't made room for the full expression and the full celebration of difference. Come on. But when we do, we'll experience what we experience in worship when the drums and the bass and the keys all come together. It's the beauty of harmony because we're better together. You know, for me personally, I had to learn about better together through the life of Moses. Because Moses, although he was an Israelite, he couldn't fit in with his own people. Well, because he grew up in the privilege of the palace. So what we didn't know about their struggle. And the struggle's real, isn't it, Daniel? Come on. And at the same time, he couldn't fit in with the Egyptians who raised him because he wasn't one of them. He was a slave by birth and by blood. And so Moses decides to take matters into his own hands, and he chooses to deny his privilege, and he chooses to identify with his own people, the Israelites. And so one day when he sees one of his fellow Israelites being beaten by an Egyptian, he goes to his defense, and he ends up killing the Egyptian. Big mistake. Because now he has to retreat to the backside of the desert, to this place called Midian, where he spends the next 40 years paying for that mistake. And we know he doesn't fit there either, because he has a kid and calls him Gershom. Now, we're about to have our fourth child, and let's just say Gershom's not high on the baby name list. (laughs) 
But the name Gershom actually means I've become a foreigner in a foreign land. Why is it that Moses couldn't seem to fit in with his people anywhere? Well, Ephesians verse tells us that only God can make the whole body fit together perfectly. And you see, for Moses, he was trying to define his difference disconnected from God. And that's always disappointing. Now, when you try to define your difference disconnected from God, you'll always miss it. Now, it's important to note here that Moses had in the natural all the connections that us as church planners probably came here thinking, man, if I just had that. Well, look at Moses. He'd had that and then some. And he still messed it up. I mean, he was Pharaoh's grandson. The name alone opens the door to all the power and privilege and position and provision, hello, that you could ever want. And he still messes it up. How is that even possible? Well, I'll tell you how. Because it's impossible to be in harmony with God's people until we're first in tune with him. You know, the the tendency for us as pastors and leaders sometimes is that we want to fit in with the people and we want to fix their problems without first having spent time in his presence to capture his heart for his people. And like Moses, that leads to rejection from the people because what the people want is the power and the peace that only comes from time in his presence. Come on. Now watch this. For most of us here, you probably think, God, how am I going to fit in with these people? But the difference is this. Better together is actually a prophetic declaration from God that apart from him, we can do nothing of significance. See, better together, sometimes we feel we come here and like, so what? They might have rejected you, but they rejected Moses. Uh, So what if they didn't write you that check? Because that check came with strings attached. (laughs) That would have hurt rather than help. But better together wasn't about them. It was about Christ and you and the difference he makes in you. And this is the difference. What's this? He opens our eyes to see and celebrate difference. He opens our ears to hear the prayers of the people in our city, and he responds to them by sending you to be the specific answer they need. But best of all, he doesn't send you alone. He says, my presence will go with you, and that will give you rest. You see, better together is a prophetic declaration from God that apart from him, we can do nothing. But together with him, we can see our churches healthy. We can see our churches grow. And we can see our cities filled with the life and the love and the legacy of Jesus Christ. Come on up. to be here so honored to get to share with you this is literally like a family reunion and we are better together so many of my heroes leaders mentors friends best friends are here today and I am so just privileged to get to speak to you honored and humbled but I'm going to jump right in Genesis 26 19 Isaac's servants also dug in the Gur Valley and discovered a well of fresh water but then the shepherds from Gur came and claimed the spring This is our water, they said, and they argued over it with Isaac's herdsmen. So Isaac named the well Essek, which means argument. Isaac's men then dug another well, but again, there was a dispute over it. So Isaac named it Sitna, which means hostility. Abandoning that one, Isaac moved on and dug another well. This time, there was no dispute over it. So Isaac named the place Rehoboth, which means wide open space. For he said, at last, the Lord has created enough space for us to prosper in the land. And I'm talking to us about Isaac today because Isaac knew what it meant to dig, to grab a shovel, and to plant. 
And we're all church leaders, church planters, and we know what it means to grab a shovel. We know what it means to dig. We know what it means to plant. We know what it means to sweat. It's not glamorous. It's not pretty. It's not the most lucrative thing you could think of. It requires work. It requires toil. And it requires sweat. And there's also opposition. And when Isaac dug, there was opposition. And I think about when we started our church six years ago, there was so much opposition. We were on staff at an amazing church called Charlotte in Austin, Texas, and it was phenomenal. But then we launched out on our own and started a church, and boy, is it work. We went from being a part of a team of thousands to just my husband and I and our three kids. And so we had to grab our shovel and start digging. We had to cast vision to 17 people in a living room and start digging. And there was not water right away. There was just wide eyes of like, what are these people talking about? Why are they so smiley? (laughs) And we kept digging and we kept digging. But then we had health problems with our son. Then we had to move four times. We went from owning a beautiful home to selling our house and renting after renting, after renting, after renting, digging, after digging. We went from, God, why'd you call us to this city? There's so many great churches in this city. Digging, digging, digging. We went from one volunteer who we said, you're, you're, you're a leader. <laughs> you showed up at church, you're a leader. <laughs> You've been there. Digging, 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 digging. Then there was resistance. Then there was arguments. Then there was tension. Keep digging. And Isaac knew what that meant. But here's the beautiful thing that we can learn about Isaac's story is he didn't give up. And as I was wrestling with this scripture and I was praying over what I was supposed to share today, I felt like many of us are tired in our digging. But something that we can learn from Isaac is he didn't stop. He kept digging until there was enough room. And I feel like we need to be encouraged today to remember that no matter if our church has six people or 60,000 people, we have to keep digging. Because years ago, over 20 years ago, I was a college student. I used to party. I was a hot mess. And I walked into a house of God. Yes, hot mess. Walked into a house of God, heard the worship. I saw young people that looked like me. And I thought, I want what's on the inside of them. And so I'm so glad that that pastor years ago decided to start digging because there was a young girl who walked in and found her place and accepted Jesus Christ. And her life was never the same. And so I just want to encourage each and every one of us. I want to thank those of you who have been digging faithfully for over 30 years, 20 years, just digging, building wells, building wells, and building wells. Because things, this ark, we all have been able to draw water from this well. And I'm just so grateful that there's a brave group of people that said, we're going to step outside of ourselves and dig for other people. And so I just want to encourage us to be a group of pastors and leaders that keep digging. Some of you came here today and your shovel is dusty. You've, you've almost thought about abandoning it. And this trip was just your test, your fleece, to ask the Lord, am I supposed to keep giving? Am I still called? And I just want you to know that you are still called. I want you to know that the Spirit of God brought you to Alabama to remind you to keep digging. Because opposition will come. But keep digging because you're getting stronger. There's young men and young women that need to dream dreams, that need your church, that need your vision, that need what God placed on the inside of you. And they're going to walk in those doors and thank you that you kept digging. New church leaders, I want you to get used to digging. I want you to get used to dirt. 
I want you to get used to sweating. I want you to get used to feeling like giving up because there's a harvest that's waiting for you. You're called to touch more than you realize, but it starts with the one. And we are called to remember the one, and we'll remember the one God trusts us with more. And as you dig, God is going to make room for you in your city. As you dig, God is going to open doors. As you dig at the coffee shop and say, I see you, I want you to come to my church, God is going to open doors. And I just feel compelled to remind those that have gone before us, we need you to keep digging. We need the water that's in your well. We're thankful that you have dug wells, but don't let them get covered up. Isaac got to inherit wells from Abraham, and he got to use those wells. And we want to inherit the wells that are still on the inside of you. And I feel like sometimes as you get older, you feel like I'm going to hand my shovel to the next guy. But I need you to keep digging and keep sweating because I want to draw from the water that's on the inside of you. I want to draw from your wisdom. I want to draw from your courage. I want to draw from your strength. I want to draw from your sweat. And those of that are young, we need to look to those who have dug before us. And we need to stand in their, we need to stand in their path and see what they did and learn from them. So I just want to encourage you, grab that shovel church planner, grab that shovel senior leader and keep digging because there's lives on the other side of you digging. Together, we cling. About eight years ago, my wife and I and a couple of young people moved back to New York to start our church where we were from. We didn't know what we were doing at all, but we are of Jamaican descent, so you at least know that you can work a lot of jobs. (laughs) And so, my wife and I had six jobs between us. My parents thought we were lazy. (laughs) But we got after it and started doing things. I didn't know about the ark. I left all different types of comfort to come and start this church. So when I heard about the ark and about growth track and dynamic weekend services and the dream team, I injected some of that Jamaican ethos into the culture. I've met many ark church planners since then and they complain about their launch team size. (laughs) And they don't have enough people on the dream team. But when we started, I was the dream team. I got a picture for you if you think I'm messing around. I was the executive pastor, nursery worker. I was first impression director. I had 10 jobs in the church. The Old Testament book of Ruth tells the story of three women. Their lives have been shattered. They've lost all of their husbands. And now they hear that harvest is back in Bethlehem. And so they decide to change their trajectory. It is Naomi who is the ringleader of this motley crew. And she says, if you come back with me to her two daughter-in-laws, you're never going to get married. You're going to be the bachelorette without a rose. You're never going to have any babies. And they weep bitterly together and they cry. One of them decides to chuck the deuces. She says, I'd rather swipe right here. Than to go back with you. 
But Ruth, the Bible says, decides to cling to Naomi. Sometimes my calling feels just like Naomi, moving in the trajectory of harvest, but belching out all the things that you will not do or will not be able to get. I pastor in the Northeast where it's difficult at times, and it feels like Naomi crying out to you saying, you'll never get a building. You'll never be multi-site. You'll never get a home for your house. But sometimes you got to let the spirit of Ruth rise up in you. And you've got to say, entreat me not to leave thee or following after thee. Your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. Where you die, I'm going to die. I'm going to cling to my calling. I know that sounds cliche. Because there's plenty of Monday mornings. After I try to preach to people up in the Northeast, you're just hoping that somebody will put their faith in Christ. <laughs> Doing one of them hand numbers. Come on, raise your hand right now if you receive Jesus. And nobody does it. And you do the courtesy celebrate. Like, come on, let's celebrate those people. tell you how many times I'm looking for something to celebrate. I just want to tell my church, come on, give it up for the 300 people that just put their faith in Christ in Birmingham, Alabama right now. <laughs> 900 people just got saved at Hope City. Let's give God praise. But that's the moment you got to cling to your calling. And don't get discouraged. Listen to me. <laughs> Listen. There's three outcomes of the cling. Because if you're going to do a great thing, it requires an even greater cling. We're fascinated by Jacob. Because at an early age, he's already clinging the heel of his brother. But we're even more fascinated when he meets with God and he wrestles him all night and he says, I will not let go until you bless me, shout me. And as a result, God dislocates his physiology and allows him to leave with a limp. I wish Ark 2018 would decide I may have walked in here boozy, but I'm leaving with a limp. Number two of the cling. Ruth decides that I see somebody moving in the trajectory of harvest. And she decides, I'm sticking with you, girlfriend. And she clings to Naomi and says, I will not let go until you bless us. And God looks back at this woman and responds to her and a lineage comes out of her. A king named David comes out and also the Messiah. I wish you would grab somebody next to you and say, I'm clinging to you, baby. I'm clinging to your homeboy. I'm not going nowhere. This is the association of related churches. I'm not going to criticize you. I'm not... 
I got 40 seconds. The third outcome of the cling is where most of us are. Pastor Daniel preached about it. What we do well is we say, I will not let go unless you bless me. I will not let go unless you bless us. But Jesus gets in that garden called Gethsemane, and he's about to experience his greatest suffering. His three friends can't even stay awake to pray with him. But he grabs that cup and clings to it and looks to God the Father. And he looks down the annals of history, and he sees all of us gathered in Birmingham and says, I will not let go until you bless them. And the father gave him a legacy. Together we cling. My name is Tavner Smith. I'm from Venue Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And today I wanted to talk to you on this subject. Together we can finish it. Now listen, I, I'm a movie guy. I grew up watching movies. That's kind of the thing I got to do to download and just, just get out in the middle of nowhere with my brain. I got a lot of stuff going on. And, and I love comedies because I just love to laugh. And growing up, one of the comedies that we would watch all the time with my brothers was something called Monty Python and the Search for the Holy Grail. I don't know if you've ever seen it before, but... There was a scene in it where there's a, uh, there's a knight and he's guarding a bridge and another one comes up and they get in this fight and he takes his sword and he chops his arm off and, it, and it's gone and the guy's like, oh, it's just a flesh wound and then he cuts his other arm off and they keep fighting and by the end of the scene, the knight's rolling around with no arms and no legs and as the guy's crossing the bridge, he's yelling, come back here, I'm going to bite you, come back here, I'm going to bite you and as I watched that message... I mean, as I watched that movie, <laughs> that became a message. Later in life, I felt like the Lord showed me a picture through that of what our church looks like. The church that is supposed to be the body of Christ, that has been divided and pieces of it are laying beside each other, but we are yelling at the enemy that we're going to bite him as he crosses the bridge and takes territory that we were meant to occupy. Now, you do know that's why we're here on earth, right? We're here on earth not to defeat the enemy. The, you do not wake up every day in a battle with Satan. The enemy was defeated on the cross by Jesus Christ. Finally, for good, and you don't ever have to beat him. We don't wake up to beat the enemy. We wake up to occupy the territory that Jesus won back on the cross. But the only way we occupy that territory is if we get a full, healthy body swinging the sword. It's got to be a healthy body. It's got to be a full body. It's got to be all the pieces that are functioning correctly in their assignment. Now, what we've done at the church is, is we have called unity not when the body is functioning properly. We've called unity when we just have body parts in the same building. And so we got the Baptists and we got the Pentecostals, but we all got in the arena for one night and we sang Amazing Grace together and we go to sleep and we think we're taking back territory, but body parts laying in a building can't fight for the territory. It's got to be a body that is together. It's got to be an arm that is connected and working its assignment. It's got to be a mouth that has words to speak and it's connected to its assignment. We have to come together so we can finish it because... That is what Jesus had in mind when he made the announcement of victory from the cross. 
It is what he had in mind when they nailed him to the cross and he had been beaten and he had been flogged and his guts were hanging out of his body and you couldn't even recognize him. And he was naked hanging on a cross for our sins and he could have complained, but he didn't, cl- uh, he didn't complain. He gave a declaration of victory from the cross when he looked up and he said these three words, it is finished. But here's what you got to know about Jesus. Here's the real cool thing you know about Jesus is this, is that Jesus always knew his audience. When he said it is finished, it was words that he had calculated through eternity. And then he was born and he lived and he got to that place and he knew who was surrounding him at the cross. And he knew what he had to say to make the most eternal impact. And so surrounded by Roman soldiers, he chose a term that they would know. He chose a term they were very familiar with when he said, it is finished. They would have known it as tetelestai at that time. And it was something that they had heard over and over as they were in battle. Because the Roman soldiers at that day, when they went into battle, the general had an overall strategy for the military campaign that they were about to fight. It was called, get this, the mystery It was called the mystery because no one knew the entirety of the plan except for the one giving the orders. He didn't bring all the captains together and say, here's what we're going to do. He would bring each captain of each regiment individually in a room and he would tell them their individual assignments. And then he would say, now, go prepare your men. And then he would call the next one, tell them their assignment. Now, go prepare your men. And then he would remove himself to a higher place with a greater perspective. And he would oversee the battle as each one of the captains carried out their assignment. Now, listen, as this person is maybe in the cavalry on a horse and he's fighting, he has no idea what the other teammates or the other people, the soldiers that are his, that are connected to him are doing on the other side of the battlefield. All he knows is what he was told to do. Each person would work their assignment until the point where the general from a higher perspective would see that we have progressed so far in this campaign that it is impossible for the enemy to come back from this point. And when he got to that point, here's what he would do. Are you ready for this? He would get to a place where everybody could hear him and he would yell this, Tetelestai! It is finished! And when he yelled, it is finished, Here's what was going on among the captains who were fighting, among the soldiers who, was, who were fighting. They were beat up. They were bruised. They were cut. They were bleeding. They were dying. They were exhausted. They were hungry. But as soon as they heard the declaration from the general, it is finished. It's like a whole fresh part of it. A whole freshness of energy came in. Some confidence came in. And listen, it gave them the ability to finish the fight well. And I just came to echo the cross today because when he was hanging on the cross, he didn't just see the soldiers there. He saw the soldiers here and he saw that you were going to be cut and you were going to be bruised and you were going to be hurt and you were going to go through stuff. But he said it is finished. And this is what he meant. He meant you may not know the entirety of the plan, but I gave you your assignment. So just go work your assignment. If it's 300 people, work it. If you're a preacher, preach till the skies come down. If you're a teacher, teach with your iPad on a stool. If you're going to do multicultural, do it. If you're a megachurch, do it. If you're in a town with 2,000 and you're going to have 100 people, people do it but just work your assignment because it is finished the devil can't come back from this you're taking territory back and heaven is coming to earth shout finish it come on finish it
stand to your feet. Give it up for all these seven on seven speakers. Did you learn something? We learned some math, some algebra. We learned how to do the wave. We got some finished work on the cross. Man. Thank y'all. Well, come on. Go ahead. You guys can get off the stage. Y'all got to go. Your seven minutes are over. Come on. Let's give it up for all the speakers. Give them a wave. Welcome to the stage, John C. Lee. Go ahead and grab your seat. Go ahead and grab your seat, everybody. While you do, let's thank God one more time for all of those guys that got up here one by one and killed it. Let's be honest. How many of you glad you didn't have to do that this morning and do the... I know some of y'all want to, but a lot of y'all say, no way am I going to do that. You know what I love about all these guys is I was sitting there listening and I thought, man, I'd hate to follow that. The next person came out, I hate to follow that. None of them were intimidated by the person in front of them. All of them came with their word. We're going to do a little growth panel. So if you're on the panel, jump up here real quick. We're going to talk about church growth for just a couple of minutes before we go uh, on break and have lunch. How many of you say it's been a good morning? Come on. Or maybe we ought to do this. It's been a good morning. That's going to be our thing, all conference right there. The, the Wayne Francis wave. So put that verse up for me. First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. I believe Kyle Turner mentioned this uh, on his, uh, in his seven, seven minutes. What a great verse. I planted the seed. Apollos watered it, but what? Who? So here in this verse, we see an equation, don't we? That we have a part to play. There's partnership. There's Paul. There's Apollos. But God ultimately is the one that moves it forward. Now, all of us are believing for growth. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to think that believing for growth and doing everything you can to grow the church is an unhealthy motivation or an unspiritual uh, drive that you have. I believe we're all called to grow the church and we need to be driven by it. Can I get an amen from everybody? So just for a few minutes, we're going to talk to some people that are in it. They're in the middle of it and they're growing their church in all different settings. Come on, give it up for Matt and Sarah Keller over here. Next level church. We got Chris. What's up, Chris? I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name. Center Point Church, and I'm not going to pronounce that city. I don't know what the name of the city is. It's in Ohio. Chillicothe. 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 How about and, that? And the last name is, let me sound it out with you, Van Bus Kirk. Van, Van like you drive, bus like you ride, Kirk like the captain. How many of you think he's done that before? I don't think. Uh, we got Jimmy and Irene Rollins. Love these guys. Come on, I-5 Church in Baltimore, Maryland. And then last but not least, Paul right here to my left. Paul is in New York City, New York, Liberty Church. So here's what I want you to do. Just take about 10, 15 seconds, introduce yourself, talk about when you planted your church. How about that? And then we'll go down the line, and then I'm going to ask you one question each. Great. Well, Sarah and I uh, started Next Level Church 16 years ago in Fort Myers, Florida. And uh, what an incredible ride it has been over those last 16 years. Started in a movie theater for four years, high school for five years after that. We have three locations now, uh, as well as a Fort Myers Dream Center. Uh, and we also do Next Level Coaching, where we help churches grow to the next level. Awesome. 
Chris. Yeah. Uh, my Van Buskirk. Van Buskirk. You got it. My wonderful wife's right out there, Kristen, um, my better half. We planted, going on year nine this September, we've been portable that whole time. Uh, we're in a small town, Chillicothe's about an hour south of Columbus, town of about 22,000 people. And praise the Lord, we just got our first permanent building. We'll Come be on. in later this year. Oh my God. Can't wait. Irene Rollins, this is my husband, Jimmy Rollins, and we <laughs> pastor I-5 Church, and we're in Glen Burnie, Maryland, just outside of Baltimore, and uh, we relaunched I-5 Church from, we served under Jimmy's parents for years, and we took over about seven and a half years ago, we relaunched as I-5 Church five years ago. Uh, we are in a permanent building now for a year, we went, were portable for a year, which was very challenging, so I feel your pain. Um, so glad we're in a permanent building, but um, we're just doing church, loving God, loving people, and um, outreach is our thing, and we have a sports program called I-5 Elite that I absolutely adore. Awesome. Jimmy, say hi. Hey, everybody. I'm Jimmy Rollins. Good to talk to you all. Uh, so awesome seeing all my friends up here bringing the fire. Uh, I just, uh, just I-5, we're just excited. Uh, we're changing the front door of the church and learning how to be the best version of ourselves. And uh, often we come to conferences like this, and I think it's great to download systems, but I know we got to download vision from God, and I'm excited about that. Awesome. And uh, my name's Paul Andrew. My wife, Andy, and I, uh, I'm originally from Australia. We moved to New York City 2010, and with the help of the Ark, we planted our first uh, community in Manhattan. We celebrated seven years this past January as a church. And uh, yeah, we're grateful for the ark because we knew two people in New York City when God called us to plant a church there and neither of them ever came once. Uh, <laughs> of course. And uh, by the grace of God, not only did that initial, we call them community, not only the, only the initial community stick, but since then we've, we've gone on with the help of the ark to plant seven more. Some in our city, some outside our city, and that's how God's been growing our church. Beautiful, awesome. Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about church growth, and obviously we all know about different barriers to church growth. People talk about the 100 barrier, which is the first barrier. Believe it or not, 90, I think it's like 96% of churches in the United States are under 100 people. So I always say if you break 100, you're in the top 4% of churches in the United <laughs> States. And so we're going to talk a little bit about some of those barriers and how you know, some of these guys experienced different seasons. Maybe it was frustrating, but they learned to press through, how to break through, and uh, maybe some things that we can, we can uh, learn from. And so we'll start with you guys, Matt and Sarah. Just uh, I think it would be great if you just started with a, just one, maybe one good growth mm -hmm. nugget, something you learned, and uh, it really helped you grow beyond a certain point. If you want to talk about sure. the frustration that you were in before you broke that, <laughs> that barrier, fine. Yeah, right. Just a, a, you know, a little thought about one, kind of one nugget, one right. big principle. Well, I'm with you, John. I, I think um, you know, there are different barriers to church growth. And, and um, as we've studied it, you know, there's kind of that 100 to 150 barrier. There's the 250 to 300 barrier. That 500, 800, and that 1,000 barrier. And so for us, we have been stopped at all of those barriers. I remember when we were, uh, we were in the high school probably five years, four and a half, five years in, and we were literally stuck at 308. 308, 308, 312, 309, 310, 308, 312, 308. And I remember um, 
uh, this church planner and his wife it's like came a hotel down. room hotel oh my three, gosh no it was awful no it was awful 308 and uh so discouraged this this church planner had come down to learn from us it was a portable teaching in portable church and the whole deal and the saturday night before we went to dinner with him and i walked him back to his hotel and he goes man what's it gonna take to get to the next level just so like mm, like just yeah and i looked at him and i go i don't know man <laughs> but here's what i do know tomorrow there's gonna be 308 people in church 309, because he was going to be there the next You're day. right, and because you and your wife are in town, we'll be up. <laughs> and that was such a defining moment for me, because the next morning there were 354. And by within four weeks after Christmas, we were at 409, and we baked a cake and put 409 on it, because that's what you do when you break 409. You bake a cake. But here's, here's the point, Sarah, I want you to actually talk about this. The truth of the matter is, John, it, it, when, it, when it comes to breaking growth barriers, so much of it is about shifting your thinking. It's about right here. It starts between your ears. So, babe, talk about our journey in that. Well, what happened that night when Matt said that, I thought, oh, we're supposed to be encouraging them right now, you know? Um, but he looked at that church planner. He said, I don't know. Tomorrow there's going to be 308 people, but here's what I do know. The Lord told me that if I'll be faithful to pour into other people and they get bigger and better and grow faster, he said, so I am here to to just pour into you tonight, and that's why God has me here. And uh, he got in the car, and we both just kind of cried. It was just one of those defining moments of, what's your motive? What's your motive for growth? And for us, in that moment, it was a defining line where Matt just looked at me. He's like, my motive is not to have a bigger church. I just want to invest in people. And when he said it out loud, something in his heart shifted, something in our heart shifted, and that's when that change came. So I think for all of us to really look on, so many times we can be like, God, help our church to grow, help our church to grow. I think what I would just say is, what's your motive? What, what is your motive on the inside? Because it matters a lot. So our prayer has just been, God, uh, just find us trustworthy. Just in whatever you have entrusted us with, find us trustworthy, and then you'll trust us with more. So that's been our journey. And just to give a little plug about ARC and the conference every single year, I think sometimes it's painful to come to the conference yeah. because your, your church last year when you came to art conference was about the same as yeah. <laughs> size as your churches this year when you come but it's okay we're we're among friends yeah. we're learning we're growing we're here to be encouraged yeah. and uh very often i love what you're saying very often it's obviously god trying to do something on the inside of us yeah. chris tell us a little bit about uh, a tip yeah you know moment. uh something i've learned from guys like this right here um is that at every we all have those growth barriers and there's a lid at every barrier and i think it's different depending on your setting for us being in a smaller town our biggest growth barrier that, that we had to overcome and and it kind of fluctuated between the two and 500 mark was care um when you're in a small town a lot of people just think pastor's gonna do everything and that has a shelf life um you can't you can't do that and so I think, um, speaking of priorities, Sarah, as you talk about priorities, one of the things we had gotten really good at is creating a great experience, but we weren't as good as we needed to be relationally with people. And listen, there are a lot of churches having great experiences. If you have a great experience, but you don't love people, God's not going to bless that for a long time. And you're no different than a movie. You're no different than a movie if you just have a great experience. And so something we really had to lean into as a team was how are we going to 
care better for people? How are we not just going to get them in through the front door, but how are we going to make sure they know we want to actually walk with them through life? And the biggest thing that, that did that for us, and my wife was a huge part of this, was revolutionizing our small group ministry, where that really became the hands and feet of our church. If you're not doing small groups in your church, you're not going to be able to care for people like you need to. And we were doing them, but we weren't really empowering the leaders to care for people, empower your leaders to care. And for us, when we kind of got on the other side of that, we were really able to overcome that growth barrier and we're still there right now, reaping the fruit of that. Okay, give us a couple of thoughts about how you revolutionized the small groups. I think a big part of it was empowering our leaders to do more, like giving them more to do than just, hey, ask some discussion questions, like actually enabling them and empowering them, hey, we want you to do hospital visitations. We want you to spend time and pray with people. When you're doing prayer time in your group, it's not just a, hey, do it because it's on the list. It's a really invest in people relationally and spiritually because Jesus gave us the model for this, right? When we grow relationally, we grow spiritually. And there are a lot of us wanting to figure out what discipleship is. Listen, discipleship to me, is, it's leadership. And the way that you grow specific to small groups is really empowering those leaders to do a better job of connecting with people relationally so they can grow spiritually. I'm going to ask Chris one more question. Portable for nine years, you planted through ARC. Yeah. Talk to us a little bit about staying, um, and I know Paul's got the same story, but staying faithful in that setup, tear down, keeping people encouraged. Uh, you know, we, 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 I promise one day we're going to have our own place, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Maybe not, you know, but, you know. Yeah. Um, I think it. You know, I'm just a small part of that because our leaders have done a phenomenal job keeping the vision in front of people. So the vision feel, is not for a building. I mean, yeah, no, no. So. And even as we get ready to step into this new building, uh, the, the way that we've cast vision around this first permanent facility is we've got a big heart for forgotten cities in the state of Ohio, towns of under 100,000 where nobody's planning life-giving churches. And so for us, this permanent facility, the way we've talked about with our church is this is not the last step, it's the next step. And taking this step is just gonna enable us to go launch more portable campuses and do this all over again. Yeah. So just keeping the vision in front of them and reminding them buildings just help us gather more people together. It's not why we do what we do. It's just a part of what we do. And I, and I know for years I came believing God for a building to, to our conference. I know it's a big thing you're believing God for. Uh, I remember Joe and Lori moved into a brand new facility and Joe told me something he said to his leaders and I've used it since. Uh, when they moved in the building, this is not the dream come true. This is a dream come, coming true. And so just to encourage you, it's not all about buildings. I know you think once we get there, then we're going to, you know, be there and have this and that. It is an amazing tool, uh, but it's not everything. Jimmy and Irene, talk a little bit about a growth technique, something that helped you bump Absolutely. up to the next level. Absolutely. Well, taking over our, our parents' church, we were a traditional uh, we served my parents, which a traditional African-American church is very inward uh, focused church. And, and when the Lord called us to do I-5, it was that he wanted us to, uh, before we ask people to come to church, we need to take church to the people. Uh, and so we started thinking about outreach and we started thinking about what we could, what, we, what could we do to make sure that if we didn't exist, the community would miss us, not church people. And so we had to really be, just really put our, 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 our just grind on that uh, we couldn't confuse growth in the goal. 
you know, and I think some of us, a lot of times we confuse growth and the goal. Like I can so much go after growth that I'm not reaching the goal of what God's called me to do. Yeah, that's good. And so what God's called us to do is to change the front door of the church through outreach, change the front door of the church through sports because we're in the Northeast. Everybody just don't go to church. And so what we've found with that is this passion for diversity uh, that I have, uh, this passion for multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multi-gender disability, uh, all of these different things that if we would meet the needs of the city, then God would meet our needs and our goal, which he's, which he's called us to do. And so we decided that we were going to go after everybody that nobody wanted. And as Pastor Dino said, and then God would send us everybody that everybody wanted. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, and so we, we started a sports program, I5 Elite, with uh, seven kids uh, seven years ago. Uh, and today, I'm very excited. We have about 400 kids in our sports program. And that has been the biggest front door of our church. And so it wasn't a track. It wasn't how good the sermons were or the, or the service. It was what could we, where is our niche, God? What are you calling us to do in our city? So what we did was is through that, we found that if we meet the gaps in the city, we are going to go to the city council. We're going to go to the politicians. We're going to go to all these different people and find the gaps and partner with the city on how the church can fill the gaps. That's good. That God good. would direct our vision there. And so our kind of philosophy is that church doesn't start when service starts. Church starts when service is over and we're going to be the tangible hands and feet of Jesus Christ in our city. I love it. I love it. So um, I think a huge part of what we do is um, uh, the sports and what I, I found my place in ministry when God allowed, well my husband made a place for me which I love about him, always makes a place for me in ministry and my gifts are in fitness and I love coaching and us starting this track club brought me back to life when during a time in ministry where I was so sick of just doing church and everybody leaving church and saying, oh, wasn't it a great service? I wanted life change. I wanted to lead people to Good. Jesus. Good. I wanted to uh, like rub elbows with people and talk with families. And that's what we do out in the stands. It's a church. Like literally, I'm in the stands. If there are 300 kids at a track meet, they're bringing mom, dad, auntie, uncle. Yep. So we got a chance to do life and be with these people and bring church to them. I love it because uh, we, once a year, which this year, it's the 29th of uh, April, Sonia Richards-Ross, who's an Olympic athlete, is coming to share at I-5. It's I-5 Elite Sunday. So all the athletes are going to come in their uniforms with their parents and will get to know, the, get to hear the message of the freeing power of Jesus Christ. They never would have set foot in the church. So I found my place in ministry through track and field. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> and uh, my gifts, too, can be used in the church. And, you know, and also we're able to impact all these families in a real and relational way. That's very cool. Very cool. I want to just say one more thing about uh, Jimmy and, and Irene. They just touched on the fact that they uh, took the church from uh, Jimmy's parents and just the idea of transition from one generation to the next generation. Some of you guys may be in that place as well. And I just encourage you to look these guys up, find them during the conference. And I know they would love to encourage you and give you some of their thoughts. We don't have a ton of time to talk about it, but just to, to uh, encourage you a little bit and help you a little bit, because that's a real thing. There's transition going on. And uh, we need to learn how to navigate that well. Paul, talk a little bit about your journey, maybe the, some of the you know, points where you got a little thought that helped you break through to another level. Yeah, well, so God, God called us to New York City, and so it's probably no surprise that we've gotten passionate about the impact of gospel 
sanded church planting in, in cities. And, and, you know, our generation is the first generation in human history where more people live in cities than live outside them. So the world is urbanizing. Yep. So what does that mean for us in the way that we plant churches? What does that mean for us in how we contextualize the gospel? What does that, what does that mean? And so as we wrestle with how do we, I mean, I stood in Times Square. Most people go there as a tourist. My first time in New York was as a church planter. And everybody's like, ooh, ah, like, and I'm overwhelmed. I'm vacillating between excited and like, peeing my pants. I'm like, how are we going to do this? And taking a picture with that Spider-Man guy. You right, know? exactly, yeah. exactly. The, or the creepy naked cowboy, right? And I'm like, we're going to plant a church here, right? <laughs> how do you do that? How do you do it for us? I mean, honestly, a lot of it was, it's a city of neighborhoods. How do you eat an elephant? I'm like, I feel like we called to a plant neighborhood churches in the neighborhoods of the city. If you've been to New York, you walk 10 blocks, it's like a whole different thing again. It's like there is no one city. It's like a collection of things. We've got 58, last year when we did the survey, 58 nations in our church. So for us, it's like, all right, well, if, if we spend, obviously we want, people, we want the church to grow, we want people to come to us, but we started to put as much energy into how can we take the church to them. So what would it look like without us breaking a thousand as a church to say, well, could we plant again? What would it look like to, we, we call them communities rather than campuses because that's what we feel like describes what we're trying to plant. But how could we plant another community? And, and so we did a couple in our first year and then we gathered and we planted again. And, and uh, so over time, I think like, what's, what's our growth strategy, if you like? Our, our strategy has been, how could we raise and equip leaders? How could we cast vision for people? And they're not all Liberty churches. I mean, we've planted a bunch of Liberty communities, but the last two uh, years, five autonomous church plants have come out as well. In fact, wow. one of the churches we planted, planted a church that planted a church that planted a church that right now is planting two churches. So it's like we started to get onto this thing of like, how do we Amazing. multiply the gospel? How do we think about church planting in the city and... I don't know, that's what, we, that's what we've been wrestling with. And I, I guess I say that because I think sometimes when I meet people who hear our story, I want to encourage people, you know, it's got to be God's idea, right? But if God's, if God's whispering to you that you could do something and extend the house, whether it's a new work or a campus or a plant or a community or whatever, it's, I just encourage you to, to really lean into that because our cities need the gospel. You know, our cities and wherever you are, like, there's, there's more, there's more. So you started in a movie theater? Are you yeah, still so we in? started in uh, what was Tribeca Cinemas, where Robert De Niro had started the Tribeca Film Festival. It was basically a dining room with a bar at the back. So the first week we had people get saved, raising their hand right under a giant liquors sign, which yeah, is yeah. perfect. It's awesome. like it's New York. But we've used all kinds of venues. We've been in what was Tammany Hall. Uh, we've been in the New York Society for Ethical Culture, which is basically the Atheist Society of New York, which is cool. <laughs> and had atheists looking. They have a Sunday service, that's the thing. Uh, they had people looking for the atheist meeting that found us and then found Jesus because they were wow. looking for us. cool, right? Awesome. So, um, so yeah, we've used all kinds of venues and we've set up and we tear down and we don't know any different. That's awesome. Come on, give it up for all these guys and what a job. Thank you guys, y'all could, could jump on down. Come on, we all have our own story. We all have our own journey, right everybody? We're believing for growth and we can break through to the next level. Rob Ketterling's popping up, I think, to bring us to lunch. Give these guys a hand one more time for coming up to share their story. We're about to have lunch, and uh, before we go to lunch, we want to tell you about a sponsor that took care of lunch, and uh, we love Convoy of Hope. Uh, if you don't know who they are, you need to get to know them and make them a partner with your church. Uh, they are one of our key partners. What they are is they are a, a nonprofit, faith-based group 
that wants to feed the world. And so they have a feeding program, and they also show up with every disaster and crisis. They are one of the uh, people that are there first, right on the scene, taking care of it. Hope shows up in the form of a sandwich before it shows up as a savior. How many know that's true? It shows up as a sandwich or a blanket or a generator, and then they open up their heart to hear what Jesus has to say. And they are, like I said, one of our key partners. And every Easter, we started this tradition. We tell all of our visitors, all the cash in the offering today is going to our partner, Convoy of Hope. So if you thought we invited you here to get a big crowd and get a big offering, anything you give today, we're giving away. And so we do that with Convoy of Hope, raise over $100,000 every Easter to bless them. And uh, we want you to see this video and see a, a new partner that you could add to your missions. Where are we at today? I know tens of thousands of people have received help, but where are things today? We have 11 major distribution centers around the island. We've reached around 70 communities through those 11 hubs. Thank God for Convoy of Hope. You are the first response in this area. Had it not been for a Convoy of Hope, we wouldn't have had the tools. So Hal, two major earthquakes struck here. It impacted hundreds of thousands of lives, and today they estimate at least a half a million people are homeless and displaced. But the reality is hope is on the rise. Because of our network of partners, we've been able to distribute 98,000 meals already. We just believe that good things are happening because people are reaching out in kindness. This whole neighborhood had about two feet of water in it. Not only are the volunteers doing the tear out, but it's all coming out here. We're loading in a truck and we're doing the haul off. Convoy of Hope came out when no other entity came out. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> we would be stuck without you guys. And this is a long-term project, so we still need your help. Windows were blown out, roofs were ripped off, everything inside was soaking wet. For the level of devastation, it's surprising that only five people died. Thanks to an amazing donor, we were able to get a 300-foot ship full of $2 million worth of supplies. Right now, we have teams making meals every day for the children of this island. Ever since the inception of Irma, we've been distributing resources throughout the entire state. And, you know, it was heavy in the news for the first week, and after that, it, it disappears from the media quickly, but it doesn't mean that the need has disappeared. This is going to take a while to recover from this. This isn't just fixing your roof yeah. and moving back in your home. And like I said, we could not have done it without Convoy of Hope. You were just our knight in shining armor. Yes. Well, they're the ones that took care of lunch today, so you're gonna eat in just a moment. I'm gonna pray over it, and then you're gonna grab your lunch Get to your app session. They're going to start shortly. And then, of course, tonight, 7 o'clock, we want to see you here. Uh, but let's pray, and uh, let's pray a blessing on the people that took care of our lunch and the, and the next people that are going to get a meal from Convoy of Hope beside us. We're eating now, and we'll pray for who's eating next. So, Lord, thank you for an opportunity to enjoy this conference. We feel full spiritually. We're hungry, though, physically. And thank you, God, for the lunch that's been provided. Thank you for Convoy of Hope taking care of that. And now, just let our minds move forward for just a moment, God. There's going to be a crisis. There's going to be a tragedy. Something's going to happen. It's just the way this world is. It's broken right now. And God, Convoy is going to be there to bring a meal. So we pray blessing on the next person that eats behind us, Lord. Blessing on those people. May we enjoy our meal and remember the people that are eating next. Blessing now on 
all that's happening at ARC. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. Grab your lunch, head straight to your app session, and then we'll see you tonight.